This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. In the second part of this talk on the path of Dharma, Reggie discusses the levels of training and development that unfold as we progress in our meditation practice. When meditation becomes the ground of our life, transformation becomes our way of being. This talk was given at the 2004 Winter Datun Retreat held in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. To find out about the upcoming Winter Meditation Intensive at the Blazing Mountain Retreat Center in Crestone, Colorado, please visit dharmaocean.org. Now, each of these three levels requires training. And, you know, actually, the training that brings about all three levels, as taught by Chogyam Trungpa, is what he always called the sitting practice of meditation. That's how we train. And it's, it's very interesting that the process itself unfolds in a very natural way. You begin to sit, you begin to sort of discover what's going on in your life. You see the reality of discomfort, that it's, it's a part of life. You begin to, sitting here on your cushion, you begin to re- make a relationship with it. You begin to notice how you're constantly trying to spin out and create some kind of you know, uh, dream-like scenario of how you're going to be happy someday, and you come back because your own inner intelligence is showing you that this, this is my life. You know, this, is, this is me, and you come back, and you, there's a kind of wholesome feeling of actually being with yourself, and then you drift off again, and then you come back. That's the process of sitting. We come back to our breath. We come back to our body. We start to fantasize how it could be, and we come back again. We start to fantasize about where we could go. We come back again. And through that training, that is the process of beginning to realize the really unreal uh, nature of wishful thinking and the unreal <laughs> nature of the desire to be completely comfortable. And we see that we're actually, you know, discomfort is not, it's not a bad thing. It's actually just the nature of human life. We do that for a certain period of time. You come to Datun's, you come to programs, you have a daily sitting, you do retreats. And at a certain point, you begin to feel within yourself um, a sense of, I would say, resolution about a lot of things that you were uncertain about. And you begin to feel that you are comfortable being at home and being with yourself and being within yourself. And you feel comfortable with the ambiguity of life and the groundlessness and the discomfort that is so much uh, with us. And you feel, in a way, peaceful. And you also begin to find that you can work with your own state of mind. And whatever comes up, you know that you can sit down and you can relax and you can work with your body and breath. And that those things will more or less dissipate and you'll be in a state of restfulness and uh, openness and clarity. That um, experience is the, it's a very powerful 
thing that happens in our life. And when that happens, and when we start to see that the way to solve our problems is not to go out there and try to manipulate the world, but actually to work with our own hesitation and our own sense of discursiveness, that we actually can resolve everything that comes up in our life this way, and then we can go out and engage the world in a much more effective way. When we see that, that's a huge discovery. And at that point, you have truly become a Dharma person. You become a practitioner of Dharma. It doesn't mean that there aren't all kinds of problems and all kinds of things that we have to work through constantly in our lives, but it means that we actually understand what the Dharma is and we see what a powerful, transformative force it is and that we ourselves actually can do it, and we do do it. And this is how we handle our life. You know, at the Datun, that is the you know, one of the most important things I think that we will all come away with is a sense of how that works at deeper and deeper levels. So, you know, that naturally leads to when you see the suffering of other people, you begin to realize that actually you have a, you have a path, you have a tradition that can, in a very real way, be given to other people and can help them address their own suffering. And the more insights you gain through your basic meditation practice and your work on yourself, the more you see, number one, how in complete agony everybody is, and secondly, how fruitless the ways in which they try to solve their problems. You actually see it. This is not some kind of... um, religious thing where, you know, I have the truth and I'm going to impose it on you. It's not kind of converting other people. What we're talking about here is out of the practitioner, him or herself, comes in the most natural way a sympathy and an insight towards other people. You see who they are, you see what they're doing, you see how they torture themselves, you see how they recreate their suffering, and you see that the Dharma can help them. And at that point, you enter the Mahayana, and it's just an organic development in the practitioner's life. It's not something that kind of sort of somebody gets an idea, I'd like to be a bodhisattva. It's that you feel compelled to start to share what you have learned with other people. And then through working with others, you continue your meditation practice and you begin to notice in your own life how many times you doubt reality. You doubt what arises, and you begin to see that there's this kind of wandering that's constantly going on with you. You're very unstable, and at the same time, you feel the stream of Dharma. You feel the stream, the connecting link of the awakened state that is running through your whole existence, and yet you're constantly running. And at that point, the Vajrayana becomes the thing to do. It becomes necessary to train yourself to more and more refined levels of actually staying with it. And whether you're staying with Whatever, it doesn't matter whether it leads you to um, heaven or hell. That the threat of your own Buddha nature, the threat of your own karmic situation is the threat of your life. And you begin to follow that, whether or not it fits in with anything that you or anybody else thinks. It's It's a matter of developing a very heightened and very refined and very subtle sense of personal intelligence and awareness about your life. Chogyam Trungpa, um, you know, as I said the other day, he didn't really do anything. Um, 
And he didn't do anything in the external sense, but the man was so, he was very, he was so present to each moment of his life. Uh, and the, you really, one time somebody said to me, you know, uh, Rinpoche doesn't seem to ever plan anything. And he doesn't <laughs> seem to ever remember anything. There's a story told about um, after he married his wife, which I've told to some of you, but it's, it's, just, so, it's, it's just so illustrative. They, had, um, they were on their honeymoon, and they were in bed, and Rinpoche was on the phone talking to one of his friends, and he was explaining how he just got married. And, you know, he and Diana had been, they'd known each other for quite some time. And at a certain point, he goes, I don't know, let me check. And he turns to Diana and said, Sweetheart, what was your name again? <laughs> And she says that at that moment, she realized, I'm not going to say who she was married to, but what she was married to. <laughs> and it's a, a very strange paradox that when you are completely present in the Vajrayana way to your own life, the whole universe arranges itself beautifully around each moment. In other words, the more we let go of ourselves, of our past and future, and the more present we are, the more we don't remember yesterday or anticipate tomorrow, the more we fulfill our human existence. The teaching on egolessness has many levels and many depths, but the basic point is the more we let go of ourselves at every possible level, the more we discover who we are. So the path of Dharma, it's a very real path, and in fact it's the only real path there is in human life. And so I invite you to not hesitate and really make Dharma the core of your existence. And of course, to do that, the sitting practice of meditation is the way you do it. You must meditate, and you must make meditation your life ring, your oxygen mask. And it truly is. You know when the mask comes down, you, can, you have to breathe, and you know, maybe you take it off for a minute, but then it has to go back on. And that's the way meditation is. You know, it doesn't mean you have to meditate all the time, but you have to meditate enough so that the oxygen of Dharma is constantly circulating through your system. And that means, you know, daily meditation practice, it means periodic intensives, it means coming to datans, it means solitary retreat, and just making that pretty much kind of the core of your whole life. And you might think, I'm not a fanatical person in that way, you know, I intend to, I want to get married, I want to have relationships, I want to get married, I want to have a family, I want to have a job. But one thing that Chogyam Trungpa emphasized always in his teaching was the way to have relationships is to meditate. The way to get married is to make meditation the ground of marriage. The way to have children is to meditate and create that as the environment within which the children are raised. The way to have a job is to meditate. The way to live one's life, the way to die, it's all based on the practice of meditation. And, you know, he, as I've said to you, I think, before, and, you know, I say very often, 
He was never a proponent of leaving the world. He felt that when you join meditation with life, raw and rugged life in the world, in whatever way our karma delivers that to us, that is the ultimate path. In the great tradition of Buddhism, we have lay people, we have monastic people, we have um, yogis who live in caves, and then we have a fourth type known as the householder yogin, which is the person who joins meditation with life in the world. And Trungpa said, for us, that's the most powerful path. And if you do that over the course of a lifetime, transformation is going to be the order of the day. And you, it's not like you change and you're there. It's that your life becomes more and more defined by your own transformation, more and more and more and more. So transformation becomes the, what you have for breakfast. It becomes the phone call after breakfast. It becomes the ride to work. It becomes the morning at work. It becomes lunch. So transformation actually becomes actually the way of being. And, you know, particularly at the Vajrayana level, what is asked for you, from you, at each moment is letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go through the whole day in order to actually meet your own life. So, that's the invitation of Chogyan Trungpa and this lineage, is to do it. And you're at the Datun, this is not a public talk at the Denver Art Museum. <laughs> where I could say these things, but there's no way for anybody to, like people go, well, yeah, but how do I do it? The great thing about this situation is here we are, we're in the situation, we're actually training in this way, so you're already doing it. And I'm inviting you to take the attitude that, yes, this is what I'm doing, and I'm going to carry this forward into my whole life, and I'm going to let this define who I am as a human being. I think, um, you know, there's a, a wonderful saying, um, in Buddhism, that uh, when you are young, you realize or you feel that there are endless possibilities in life. And as you get older, and you get older, and you get older, you actually realize that in life, you can only do one thing in your life. There's only one thing you can do. And different people choose different things, but there's always just one thing. And if you choose the Dharma, then somehow everything works. If you choose one of the other things, you go, and then all of a sudden there's a brick wall. But the Dharma is kind of, it's endless, you know? So choosing that one thing is um, it's a good choice. One of the key points in the path that we're talking about here, uh, you know, we always talk about trust yourself. You know, I always talk about that, trust yourself. Now, some people say, well, does that mean I need to trust my neurosis? Does that mean I need to trust my discursive thought? Well, obviously we're not talking about that. And the issue here, I think, is figuring out, and this is one reason we meditate, because our sense of vision and our sense of um, sort of accuracy of our perception is developed through meditating you know, a lot. And we begin to see that when things arise that are, are truly our own inner voice, there is a trustworthy quality there that really feels, it feels peaceful, it feels true, and there are no shadows about it. There's a sense of space around it, relaxation. And when something comes up 
that is, is more discursive mind or neurosis, it doesn't feel right. It's sort of like part of you would like to trust it, but on the other hand, it, it's sort of like there's something slightly off. Do you know what I'm saying? You kind of sense that it isn't quite right, and even though part of you wants to just, you know, sort of impulsively go and do it, it doesn't, it doesn't have the right feel to it. And that's the kind of discrimination that we all need to develop, you know, on the path so that we actually know what is, what is genuinely worth surrendering to and then what we need to kind of wait to sort itself out. download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org. Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion.